Good morning, Amokyo family. My name is Isaac, uh, and I'm very thankful and happy to be given this opportunity to share God's Word with us this morning. Just a very quick introduction of myself. I've been attending Amokyo since I was a boy, and from 2014 to 2018, I was on staff here at Amokyo uh, Methodist Church. I spent the last three years in Trinity Theological College in seminary, and just to give a quick update since the last time I preached, I've graduated, praise the Lord. And I'm very thankful for AMKMC um, for supporting me, um, not just financially, but prayerfully as well. And all your support and uh, prayers have been a very big encouragement to me. This morning, we continue our sermon series on 1 Corinthians, and we're almost towards the end of the book. Chapter 15 is uh, quite a long chapter, and we won't be reading the entire chapter today, although I do encourage us to read it uh, along the week in its entirety. This morning, we'll be reading from verses 1 to 14 and verses 42 to 44. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 14 and verses 42 to 44. Allow me to read the word of God. Verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Verse 6, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he, was, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Verse 11, Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Verse 42, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. In the last three sermons, Pastor Anthony took us through the trilogy of spiritual gifts, love, and prophecy, 
from chapters 12 to 14. Well, moving to chapter 15, Paul changes the topic. He begins chapter 15 by reminding his readers of the gospel. Now, this wasn't a random reminder like the ones we get when we're doing online shopping and we leave uh, items in our cart and the website like Shopee reminds us that we have items still left in the cart. Or the paid advertisement on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube reminding us that, you know, whatever that we have, our phone or whatever, uh, is outdated and we need to buy a new one. Paul reminds his readers in chapter 15 that the gospel is of first importance. The gospel is of first importance. But that leads us to a couple of obvious questions. Firstly, why is it of first importance? And secondly, if it was of first importance, why place this reminder here? Now, why not put it at the start of the book? We will get to those questions, but for now, let's not miss the reminder. Let us pause and be reminded of the gospel. And so allow me to use the words in our passage this morning as a reminder. Now Paul is reminding us, brothers and sisters of AMKMC, of the gospel which was preached to us, which we receive, in which we stand, and by which we are being saved, if we hold fast to the word that was preached to us, unless we have believed in vain. For this was delivered to us as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, appearing to the disciples, the crowd of 500, to the apostles, and lastly, to Paul. Don't forget that we are unworthy of this, but by his grace, Christ has saved us from our sin. Now that is our first point for today, to remember the gospel. To remember the gospel. And the outline of today's sermon is categorized into three words, all starting with the letters R-E, no resurrection R-E, so R-R-E. The first point is remember. The second point is remarkable. And the last point is response. So remember, remarkable, and response. So going back to our passage, remembering the gospel leads us back to the questions we asked earlier. Why is the gospel of first importance? Why would Paul put something of first importance all the way towards the end of the book? Well, to answer the second question, well, technically Paul didn't. You see, in chapter 2, verse 2, Paul writes, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see, Paul already started reminding the Corinthians of the gospel earlier on in our book. He adds another reminder in chapter, uh, sorry, in chapter 6, verse 11. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So Paul did remind his readers more than once about the gospel, although not as explicit as chapter 15. But so what? What about the gospel that was so important? Well, the gospel was of first importance 
because it was supposed to differentiate the Christians from the unbelievers. Let me repeat that again. The gospel was of first importance because it was, it was meant to differentiate the Christians from the unbelievers. And that was exactly what Paul was saying in verses 2 and 3. That as Christians, they have received the gospel. And not only that, they now stand in the gospel and hold fast to the word that was preached to them. So don't deviate from the gospel, Paul is saying. You know, in the popular franchise Star Wars, Anakin Skywalker or Darth Vader was prophesied to be the one who balances the force and defeats the Sith. Sith, I think. Don't kill me, Star Wars fans. Uh, the bad guys. Oh, he did that right at the end of the saga. But, you know, when he started his Jedi training, he slowly stops believing in what the good guys teach him. Anakin's behavior goes from bad to worse, and as the saga progresses, he clearly deviates from the good side. And it was a matter of time before he joined the dark side. After learning that his apprentice has turned from from the good side to the dark side, a fierce battle takes place between Anakin and his Jedi Master, Obi-Wan Kenobi. To cut the long story short, the battle ends with Anakin being seriously injured by Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan, at the end of the battle, was in tears and he was clearly upset because he had to hurt his very own apprentice. And then he then shouts the very famous line, You were the chosen one! You were supposed to destroy the Sith, not join them. I'm pretty sure Paul was no Star Wars fan here, but he was reminding the Christians in Corinth that they were meant to live holy lives, not join the non-Christians in idolatry and sexual immorality. So it is with you and I too, you know, we need to be reminded of the gospel from time to time. We need to be reminded that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again on the third day. It is this act of remembering that keeps us in step with living for God. It is this act of remembering that keeps us in step and living for God. Brothers and sisters, we have been called to hold fast to the word of God. Let us remember the gospel and not deviate from it. You know, that is extremely easy to say, but very easy, very difficult, pardon me, to live out. Very, very difficult to live out. And the fact is, we can't do this alone. We can't rely on our willpower to achieve this. We need others. We need our cell group members. We need our leaders. We need our friends. More importantly, we need God. So perhaps the first step we could take is to schedule a text to someone during the week and remind them of the gospel. Or just text them and tell them that, you know, hey, I'm thinking of you. How can I pray for you? How can I pray with you? And so let's do that right now. If you're watching this with someone next to you, turn to that someone and say, we need to remind each other of the gospel. If you're not watching it with someone, you know, I encourage you now to pick up your phone and text someone and say, we need to remind each other of the gospel. You know, after last week's sermon, I was texting Pastor Anthony, and he shared that we all need the Word, the Spirit, 
and the community to truly grow and glorify God. And amen to that. That is so important. You see, the gospel is of first importance. We need to be reminded of God's word, the gospel, the good news of Christ. But that alone is not enough. We need to move in the spirit and seek the gifts. And all of this won't make sense without being in community. God has placed us in community because we cannot operate alone. We need community to keep us in check as much as we would help others uh, and keep them in check as well. So remember the gospel, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, going back to our passage, there was another reason why Paul was reminding his readers of the gospel. There was a gigantic misconception spreading in the Corinth church. Some of them were saying that there was no resurrection of the dead. And that was outrageous. Paul mentions in verse 13 and 14, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. You know what Paul practically was saying is that if there's no resurrection, then we can balik kampong already. We can stop. Everything that we have read from chapters 1 to 14 doesn't matter anymore. In fact, everything that we believe in, our faith is in vain. We can close shop and recording this service won't make any sense. You know, Easter Sunday won't even exist anymore. In the movie Catch Me If You Can, Leonardo DiCaprio plays friend Frank Abagnale, a teenage con artist. The movie is based on the true story and the life of Frank Abagnale. And Frank is thought to be one of the biggest con artists in the modern era. Frank had a turbulent childhood and when he ran away from home when he found out that his parents were getting a divorce and he had to choose between the two. Because of that, he was all alone in New York City and he had no money at all. In order to survive, he started impersonating a pilot from Pan Am uh, and cash checks for money. He became so good at it that he flew thousands of miles for free and lived luxuriously. Not too bad for a 16-year-old teen. When the FBI started getting suspicious, Frank turned from being a pilot to becoming a doctor. What a career switch. He never stopped his conning, you know, staying undercover for, as a doctor for almost a year without even being through a minute of medical school. This was in the 1960s and 70s, mind you, so it was a lot. Maybe it was a bit easier back then. And this part is contentious, but he cheated banks of about two and a half million dollars. Frank Abagnale basically lived a lie, and he was constantly portraying someone that he was not. He was a fraud. Now his story is fascinating, but the audacity of his scams, Frank Abagnale's scams, was nowhere near if the resurrection didn't happen. You see, if the resurrection didn't happen, then Jesus Christ would be the biggest scam and Christians would be the biggest liars ever. If Christ was not resurrected, then Paul's letter would be in vain, the gospel would be in vain, the church would be in vain, and those who died for the faith, those who were martyred, died in vain. If the resurrection didn't happen, it would be the most ridiculous scam of all time. If the resurrection didn't happen, Christianity has been carrying a huge lie for thousands of years. 
And that was exactly how some of the Christians were living back then. They completely and deliberately dismissed the resurrection and lived their lives recklessly. You know, one commentary puts it this way, they were habitually ignorant of the resurrection. They knew very well that the resurrection did happen. It's just that they wished it didn't. Or rather, more specifically, they wished the resurrection didn't happen so they could live their lives according to the way they wanted. Verse 34 says, They carried on sinning. They had no knowledge of God. And this was to their shame. Well, does this sound familiar? This is exactly what living against the gospel looks like. They made the gospel about themselves and what they can gain out of it, not about Jesus Christ. You know, fast forward to today, my guess is that few Christians in church would dismiss the resurrection. Some may take offense to it, some may be on the fence about it, or some may think that, you know, hey, the resurrection took place such a long time ago. So I think it's not so much about the resurrection per se, or the saving power that truly bothers us. Rather, it might be that feeling of being dictated that really bothers us. It might be that top-down feeling of, you must submit to me or else kind of feeling that really bothers us. And perhaps we have entertained that thought that submitting to God means our freedom is lost. You know, we may think that it takes uh, away any form of control that we ought to have. And to that end, we tell God, thank you for saving me, but let me live my life. You know, if you and I look closely at our lives and the world we live in today, we realize that you and I were never created to be our own saviors. We will make terrible gods. You and I are great partners, great friends, great works, uh, great workers, but you and I were never created to be a saviour. We will mess up everything. In fact, we've already messed up time and time again. Or perhaps for some of us, it's not so much of the dictating bit that gets us, but it is God invading our lives, unlocking our saves, and knowing all of our darkest, deep, darkest secrets that really bothers us. It's kind of like someone who breaks into our house, ransacks it, but doesn't steal anything at all. He doesn't take anything. At least we might feel better, you know, if the person or the thief was trying to take something and we knew or we, we come after finding out what happened, we know what the person was trying to take. But if nothing was taken, then the worst feeling sets in. That person now knows everything about us. So it's that act of ransacking of violating that really bothers us. We feel violated. Well, here's the truth. God doesn't have to ransack our lives. God doesn't have to open our saves and know our, our deep and darker secrets. He already knows. He knew it all along, and He already knows the kind of mistakes that we will make in the future. Let me say that again. He, God already knows the mistakes that we're going to make. He knew it all along. He knows what kind of mistakes we're making today. And He already knows the kind of mistakes that we'll be making in future. And in spite of knowing all of that, 
all of our mistakes, all of our wrongdoings, He willingly sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. Now don't miss that. Despite knowing all of our mistakes, He willingly sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. You know, the only thing topped down about Jesus going on the cross was that God the Father sent Him there. We were the ones who were supposed to take the cross, but no, Jesus took our place. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, willingly humbled himself to the cross. He did no wrong, but Romans 5, 8 says, while we were yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, Jesus took our punishment on the cross, and with that, he died. He defeated death, and he rose again. He resurrected. And because of that, Jesus offers us salvation. And one day, we will be be resurrected. That is the power of the resurrection. That's the saving power of the gospel. That despite our mistakes, despite all our dishonor, despite our weaknesses, Christ took on sin and gave his life for us. And by doing that, he defeated death and he rose again on high. And let's not forget that last bit. One day, this mortal body of ours will die, but we will be resurrected. You know the words in the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, ring very true. It says, I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. So to say that the resurrection didn't happen is to deny all of this, to make the whole gospel a scam. You see, the resurrection is either the most remarkable miracle in all of time or the most ridiculous scam ever. We took a long time to get here, but our second point for today is that the resurrection is remarkable. The resurrection is remarkable. Verses 42 and 43 reads, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Now let's pause And think about that for a moment. We dishonor God, and yet we will be raised in glory. We are weak, and yet we will be raised in glory. You know, brothers and sisters, you and I will make mistakes. You and I will have failures and setbacks in life that are too hard and too big to comprehend. But this passage is such a big encouragement to us because Paul is very clear here. He says, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. We don't get what we deserve. How unworthy we are, and yet how remarkable this promise is. And there is no other promise in all of time that comes close to this. We were meant to perish, but with the resurrection, we will be imperishable. 
we carry dishonor, but we are raised in glory. We are weak, but we are also raised in glory. And this offer is possible only because Jesus himself perished. Jesus himself was dishonored, and Jesus himself was made weak so that we can be imperishable and we can be raised in glory. Paul says in no uncertain terms in verse 49 that we shall also bear the image of the man in heaven. Now, how is Paul so sure about this? And that's because he witnessed it himself. Paul was an eyewitness to the resurrected Jesus. Jesus appeared to him. And to compare between an eyewitness account and those who did not witness Christ's resurrected and yet were spreading false messages about Christ, I think it's clear who is telling the truth and who isn't, you know, between the eyewitness and those who didn't see him. Now, at this point, I think it's important to address a common misconception about the resurrection of Jesus. Some of us may think that Jesus doesn't have a body and he is purely spirit. Perhaps some of us associate that maybe because he's in heaven, therefore he doesn't have a body. But that is not true. Jesus does have a resurrection body, as mentioned here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, one that is glorified. Furthermore, he appeared to his disciples, to the apostles, to the 500, and lastly to Paul, as written at the start of this chapter. And the gospel accounts record that his disciples touched him and felt him. So he is definitely not a ghost or a spirit. He does have a resurrection body. Now going back to the passage, we have seen how important it is to remember the gospel. We've also seen how remarkable the resurrection is. What then is our response? You see, Paul in verse 52 says, that at the last trumpet, when the trumpet sounds, the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. And on that final victory, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, death is swallowed up in victory. We can say, O oh death, where is your victory? O oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a sight to behold and what an unshakable promise Paul writes in verse uh, 52. Christ has the final victory. Christ has the final say. You know, this means two major things for us. Firstly, the worries, the problems that we face, the sickness that we live in, the difficulties that we go through, the pain that we endure, the burdens that we bear, these won't have the final say on us. Even death has no more victory and its sting is lost because Christ has the final say. And two, we have an unshakable hope that one day we will meet with Jesus and we will be reunited with the ones that we have lost. Oh, what a day to long for. What a day to come face to face with our Lord. What a day where we will be reunited with those who have gone before us. So Christ has the final word and we have an unshakable hope. And that's not all. Paul says in verse 58, Therefore be steadfast, 
immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord our labor is not in vain. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Anthony spoke about faith, hope, and love. And this is it right here in this passage. You know, to be steadfast is to live in step according to the gospel. To be faithful. The resurrection is testimony of our faithful God who was faithful to the end and will be faithful for all of eternity. To be immovable is not to be moved or swayed by another. And the only way we can do that is that is if we have an unshakable hope to cling on to. You see, the resurrection provides us with an unshakable promise of victory in Christ. And to abound in the work of the Lord really is to love. The resurrection is not only the most prominent symbol of love, it is also the most powerful symbol of love. So be steadfast, be immovable, and abounding in the work of our Lord. Have faith, have hope, and love in our Lord Jesus Christ because He lives. And knowing that Christ is resurrected, knowing that He lives, we can sing and we can join together in that famous song, Because He Lives. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know, I know He holds the future. And life is worth the living just because He lives. Let us pray. Our gracious and victorious Lord Jesus, we praise you for you are risen. We praise you for you hold the future. We praise you for one day we shall meet you face to face. Lord, grant us your grace and your strength as we live, that we remember the gospel and never lose the wonder of the resurrection. Grant us your assurance that we may live for you and you alone. Lord, please forgive us for the times we have strayed away and pull us back to you. For those of us who are feeling weary, feeling distant from you, turn our hearts, O Lord, back to you. For those of us who need a fresh touch from you, I pray that you would meet us at our point of need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.